Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, brought to you by Carvana. We sell cars, but we are not car salesmen. Featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. It is upon us. I am talking about the BNP Paribas Open at Indian Wells. We look forward to it every year. The Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic is also upon us. The team at KickServeRadio.com is incredibly excited about the next two weeks of tennis. I speak of seven-time Grand Slam champion, International Tennis Hall of Famer, former number one in the world, Mats Vlander. I'm talking about one of the great Texas Longhorns of all time, two-time All-American Johnny Levine, and he is in charge of the Arizona Tennis Classic, so I know he's on pins and needles. He's very excited. we got so much to get to tonight, you guys. We've got to talk about the fact that Rafael Nadal has absolutely found the fountain of youth. We have got to talk about the fact that Novak Djokovic is going to be back on the court at Indian Wells. We've got lots to get to, but let's start with this. Mats Vlander never won to mince words. You came out recently, and it was all over the place that you gave some, uh, let's say, constructive criticism to Alexander Zverev. Uh, it came across like an old uh, Amy Winehouse song, Better Go to Rehab. And you were talking about anger management and Johnny's smiling and laughing because he can't believe I just said that. But you told me it was OK to bring this up. So what are your thoughts on those comments and just your whole outlook on Zverev and basically the punishments that he is and is not facing as a result of his behavior in Acapulco? Yeah, guys, nice to be with you again. Um yeah, let's get to it. I think what uh, Alexander Sasha Zverev did um, is is way below par. Um, you first of all, I don't even like when people break rackets because uh, you should not take your anger out on equipment or on the court or the umpire's chair. So I'm a little concerned actually because of what happened at the Australian Open where Sasha Zverev lost to Denis Shapovalov and, and after 45 minutes, he absolutely destroyed one of his rackets into the court 45 minutes into a five-set match. That's, yes, he was down a set. Yes, he was down a break. But, I mean, uh, these are five-set matches. So I was concerned there. And then I see this thing in Acapulco in a doubles match. And maybe the call was absolutely horrible. But uh, that doesn't make sense to me that, that Sasha Zveda would lose his temper like that. Um, it's not cool to me to do what he did. I mean, obviously, yes, he's not going to hit the guy in the leg. There is a piece of the chair, umpire's chair is in the way. Uh, and you have to actually look at it and say, well, what if that piece of wood was not there? He would have hit the umpire's leg. Of course he wouldn't have. So, yeah, uh, Amy Winehouse obviously says <laughs> that it's time to go back to rehab or go to rehab for the first time. I'm not sure what Amy <laughs> Winehouse meant back then. But, uh, yeah. I think it's time for Sasha Stroud to take a look at himself. Uh, obviously, he's come out and, and sort of apologized, but but still, that, that doesn't that doesn't uh, do it for me quite. He needs to uh, take a look at himself and and um, be penalized, punished, uh, suspended, whatever it is. 
I like Sasha. He's a good guy, and I'm sure he didn't mean much by it. But it, it's more deeper than that to me. What makes a player at, of his caliber at his age go that crazy? It, I don't think it's just a bad call. I don't know. Johnny, whenever we get an opportunity to give a Longhorn a little love, we try to do it. Let's just point out that it was Lloyd Glasspool, former Longhorn, on the other end of that doubles match that ended up winning uh, that that match and that final. Um, that aside, you were appalled at the lack of punishment, and you felt like this guy needed to be put in an extended timeout. I think you're spot on, Matt. I don't know that I've ever seen or witnessed anything like that in the history of 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 ATP tennis from my perspective I've never seen anything so so bad and I don't know if you guys know this but the ATP came out with a statement today on his fine and suspension and this is what it is and this is insane to me too $25,000 fine 8 week suspension okay however which sounds pretty good right well pretty good However, the suspension and the fine are being withheld on the condition that over a period ending next year, February 22nd, that he doesn't have a further code violation. He's on probation. He's on probation. There is no fine and there is no suspension. So when I read it, when I read it at first, I thought, oh, wow, he's going to miss Indian Wells. Now there's going to be some impact and there's going to be a sting to this thing that could really make a difference and he's, but he's off scot-free, nothing. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, that, that is, that is the big story in men's tennis going into Indian Wells. And now I think another storyline, which is much more typical of the types of things that we talk about prior to Indian Wells are the favorites going into the tournament. Now, Matt's when Rafael Nadal came from two sets to love to beat uh, Daniil Medvedev in the finals of the Australian Open. It was considered a Herculean effort and different different people had different opinions on whether it was an incredible comeback or a huge choke or whatever the case may be. But that this Medvedev was definitely, prior to this match, considered to be the best hardcore player in the game. Then Rafael Nadal matches up with him again uh, in the Acapulco semi and absolutely lays the wood to him six three six three and validates that Australian Open win. Does that make Rafael Nadal the prohibitive favorite to win Indian Wells at this point, or does Novak Djokovic, albeit somewhat rusty, have something to say about that? Yeah, I mean an unbelievable tournament in Acapulco for Rafael Nadal for sure. And yes, he goes in as the favorite. Uh, the surface at Indian Wells is very similar to the one at Acapulco. Very gritty, very slow hard courts. Obviously, Acapulco was extremely humid, uh, which actually doesn't favor Nadal that much. It's it makes it really slow, but his spin doesn't take quite as much. Takes more than other players, Medvedev, for example. But then you go to Indian Wells, and and the air is dry, and the ball is bouncing higher, but you're still playing on these on these slow hard courts. So yeah, he comes in as the favorite for sure. Uh, how much does he have left in his tank? I'm not sure. I mean, um, I'll be excited when I see Rafa Nadal walk onto the court in Indian Wells, because obviously um, he is 35 years old, going on 36, and he needs to to save some of some of his energy and uh, while he's building his confidence up. But I think over the years, it's kind of been that he's played Indian Wells 
and maybe not always gone to Miami, although Miami, again, is another pretty slow tournament, or usually it usually is. So I think Rafa Nadal is fountain of youth emotionally and mentally to me. To me, physically, he looks a, a few years older than Novak Djokovic. Um, when he moves around, he doesn't move quite as well as before. But I think what we're seeing with Rafa now, uh, and in Acapulco, it was very apparent. He's got an incredibly good hand. He plays with an amazing variety of shots that we literally, he's, he's very similar to what Roger Federer used to do on a tennis court. And it's weird to think that Rafa is doing that. Uh, is he doing that because he's, um, he has to do all that? Yes, I believe so. I don't think the old Rafa Nadal with his sort of pretty basic tactics, it's not good enough against Daniil Medvedev. And now that we mentioned him, Sasha Zverev and these bigger guys, and he's had to mix it up. And, and the drop shot is unbelievable. The slice backhand is unbelievable. The serve and volley at the right time is incredible. So tactically, he's always been one of the best of all time, but he's actually matching that with hitting these different shots with all kinds of different spins. And the best part about it, which is so weird to me, is that he's able to do that, but still be as emotionally involved the way that he's been his whole career when he plays tennis that he knows he can handle, that he knows where he can trust himself. This kind of tennis is, is Rafa Nadal in an exhibition match, in practice matches, and somehow he got Daniil Medvedev to choke at the Australian Open. I don't think you choke without your opponent doing something about it. And he got him to choke. And then in Acapulco, he basically got him to choke from the first point. And that was just amazing that he could do that. So for me, Rafa Nadal is just finally we're, we're looking at a player that has hands as good as Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic or Andy Murray. Maybe not quite as Johnny Mac McEnroe. Uh, but, uh, and it's just so cool to see someone that, that is that is so free playing tennis these days, and he deserves it. Johnny, you always like to look at the storyline from an American tennis perspective, and I'm looking at the rankings, and although the hot player on the tour to some extent has been Riley Opelka, it would seem to me that the conditions at Indian Wells, particularly the court speed, might favor the likes of a local like Taylor Fritz, who grew up in the area, what are your thoughts on who you might think might be, you know, the, the, the greatest hope for American tennis to potentially, you know, make it to the semis or better uh, of Indian Wells this year? Yeah, I think Fritz made the semifinal last time. Right. And I believe he lost to Basilashvili, right? Basilashvili, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I believe so. But he does have a great game for that surface and he is close to home. And I believe last week or the week before, he actually reached number 16 in the world. He's back to number 20 right now. So 16 is a, is a huge, huge ranking for him. Uh, closing in, I mean, that, he's getting, he could end up in the top 10 at some point if he continues to improve and continues to be consistent. Um, and, and, you know, Opelka has been playing great. So um, you can't count him out, and he could definitely get a big run. I know it. It is a bit of a slower court, but uh, but he's playing well, and 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 that serve is 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 monstrous. Obviously, you've got Isner, um, you've got Tiafoe at thirty in the world, 
And then you go into Corda, Paul and Brooksby. So, you know, any one of those guys being in, you know, their home country and in California, I think they could all do well. And it depends a lot of it is going to depend on the draw. But uh, I think I think there's there's a lot of hope for the Americans this week in Indian Wells. He mentions Basilishvili, Matt, but let's talk about last year's defending champion, Cameron Norrie. And at 12 in the world, I continue to marvel at this guy. Here's a guy that played collegiate tennis at TCU. And you look at his game and, and you certainly see competency in every area, but I don't know that you see anything spectacular in any particular area. It, would it be fair for me to call him maybe the most, you know, the most overachieving player on the men's tour right now? At this particular moment, I think so. Yes. I mean, he doesn't have a weakness for sure. Uh, and he has some strengths. I mean, being lefty definitely helps him. But I think his biggest strength is the variation between the forehand and the backhand. The forehand has a lot of spin. Uh, he can do some damage with the forehand. He can hit it high with spin. He can hit it inside out. And then you got that backhand that doesn't have any variety at all, except the variety comes from where he hits his backhand from because he's very, he's very good at taking the backhand on the rise and then it becomes an aggressive, uh, aggressive shot. And he's okay with letting the ball come to him and then he hits that kind of flat backhand. So I think it's a, it's a problem playing against him because it's difficult to, to get any kind of rhythm, I would think. Obviously, with a lefty serve, that's huge. But I think the, the biggest strength he has to me is fitness, is fitness and mobility. Uh, he is an unbelievably quick tennis player. He anticipates really well. And I think through that, he has become an incredibly good fighter. Uh, it's hard to be a good fighter unless you feel like you can get to pretty much everything on the court. Once you can, then suddenly that mental, uh, the mental strength uh, that, he, that he possesses uh, comes out. But without movement... I don't think that's happening. Confidence is huge for him, of course, but he doesn't take risks. So for me, him beating Stefan Tsitsipas and Acapulco in two straight sets, I believe it was 6-4, 6-4. I mean, that just validates the fact that he's, he's knocking on the door to the top 10. He's going to be dangerous on every surface. I don't think uh, players necessarily are scared of him, but uh, he's a tough out. It doesn't matter who you are. And I was actually really impressed with uh, Rafa in that finals, because um, I thought it was going to be a, a really tough match. It was, but Rafa dealt with him pretty easily in the finals. So, yes, I like the way he plays. I like his attitude. I like the way he moves. Could he defend his title? Um, yes, he could. You see, he's a tough out. There you go. All right, when we come back, guys, it was women on center stage this past week. Not much going on in men's tennis, but plenty going on with the ladies don't worry, Johnny. We are going to get to the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic. Uh, we're saving the best for last. You're listening to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And when we come back, how about little Layla Fernandez? More with KickServeRadio.com right after this. Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's Lander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Former number one and seven-time, yep, that's right, seven-time Grand Slam champion, Matt Spielander, now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all. 
including indoor tennis, lots of high quality training equipment in a clean and bright spacious workout area. They have yoga and Pilates as well as hydro options. They also have martial arts and something I have never seen before, TRX suspension training. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. Time on court with mats is an amazing experience, one I assure you you will never forget. After my clinic with mats, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent, reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to MatsVLanderTennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com. We were talking all kinds of men's tennis. Sasha Zverev and his temper tantrums and Rafael Nadal and his fountain of youth and Cameron Nori and his overachieving ways. But the women had center stage this past week. And, Johnny, I'll start with you because we really have been looking for something special from anyone that was involved in that ladies' U.S. Open final. And, obviously, Emma Raducanu has struggled ever since. She's had some moments that were better than others. But Layla Fernandez went out and won in Monterey in very impressive fashion. She's got a little bit of Rafa Nadal in her. Did you think that that was kind of good to finally see one of these one of these young ladies that played in that open final finally do something special to sort of validate them having even been there in the, in the first place? Well, you're going to have to pull some tape from one of the previous shows because I believe you asked me specifically, what do you think? Okay. Who's going to come out with a better season is it going to be Fernandez or Raducanu and I told you that Fernandez was the more consistent more seasoned player had more experience and it was going to be her and look what she did last week playing that beautiful game of tennis that she's capable of doing and uh, there was a bit of a controversy I believe in that finals that she had with the lights going out but what have you she she pulled it out and she is just uh fun to watch and she's got great energy and she's really uh you know great sportsmanship out there and has a real good variety of a game and i i really enjoy her and i, I think she is going to be just fantastic she already is she's must watch tennis for me matt's at indian wells when i go there there's a short list of people that i absolutely positively have to see and she is she is definitely one of them to to, to johnny's point i mean she really has a stage presence and to hold off five match points against Osorio the way she did in that final and to have that long protracted break with, as Johnny also mentioned with the lights going out and then, 
you know, really kind of standing her ground about that and then letting herself cool down and then coming right out and, and then holding off a match point, holding serve at five, six and a third and winning a tiebreaker. That's the kind of match that to me seems like even though making the U S open final was very special, this might even be more of a true turning point in her career. Yes, I believe you're right. And Johnny, I actually remember when you, when you said that you called out Leila Fernandez having uh, be a little bit more experienced than uh, Emma Raducano. But I also have to say that there is a massive difference between winning the U.S. Open and making the finals. I think making the finals, there's a lot of expectations in Canada. Uh, there's a lot of expectations from us tennis fans because we just love to watch uh, Leila Fernandez play tennis, but but otherwise not really having any expectations of of her winning another or getting to a finals of a major in the, in maybe the next year or two or maybe three or four or maybe ever in a way. But she she is a breath of fresh air. It helped her to play in Monterey. Monterey is pretty fast, a uh, little bit of altitude, I believe, uh, and I think that we have to with her. I think we have to be really cautious of thinking she's going to do great uh, at a certain tournament because she's playing well. I think the surface for her, the conditions are absolutely huge. She's not going to be able to hit through uh, a slower clay court or a slower hard court. But when the courts speed up a little bit and the balls are flying through the air a little bit quicker than normal, she's unbelievably good. Um, I mean, I, I try and I teach a seven-year-old girl at my club and she loves Leila Fernandez. And I'm like, okay, that's where it ends. Because you are not allowed to watch what Leila Fernandez does with her feet playing tennis. Because she's way too open for me. Because she has such amazing timing. And she can take the ball that early. But it also takes away that bigger shot that she could have. But that's the way she plays. She plays quick. She plays on top of the baseline. And when it's all going right for her, she has variety like Rafa Nadal. So uh, I love the way she plays. She's a, she's a great girl. Um, and um, maybe this will, will propel her to do well uh, here in the, uh, in, in the desert. I think that she has a good chance. But again, courts are a little bit slower there, and it'll be interesting to see how she deals with it. But again, pressure is on. Suddenly, she has pressure on her to do well. Before I go to you, Johnny, I want to just clarify one thing with you, though, Matt, about the way she you know, hits open stance and all. But isn't there something about Layla's instinctive ability to – and I would I would go as far as to say similar to Borg or yourself mm-hmm. to really hold a shot until the last minute and really allow her opponent to commit before she does. And that's a special skill that she seems to possess. Is that something that I'm seeing that's not really there or is that something that she does a little bit better than most of the other women out there? No, I think it's there. I really okay. think it's there. And I think if the conditions are right, then she hits a big enough uh, shot from both sides where she can actually uh, punish her opponents. But that's what I'm saying. When the courts get a little bit slower and the ball's a little bit heavier, I don't see her having that power to to sort of plow through players the way that some of the other women do uh, that are great ball strikers. But uh, again, she's very talented. She's going to learn how to play on different surfaces. But um, I see Emma Raducano as a little bit uh, more effective uh, on different surfaces. Maybe not more complete, but somehow she has 
Grand Slam uh, champion material that's there already. I think Fernandez needs to build her game up just a little bit more. Uh, and uh, she needs to keep coming forwards because, again, I don't think she can hit through uh, most players on slower courts. But, I mean, she's such a favorite of mine. She's unbelievable. Johnny, Matt makes the comment that it's one thing to get to a final of a U.S. Open and another thing to win it. And it's no coincidence that Matt's got to one final and he won it. And so, of course, that's he's going to say that. So my question to you about Matt Svelander before he comes to Phoenix is, had he lost to Lendl that day in 1988, how much differently would the history books reflect on him as one of the all-time greats in our sport? <laughs> I'm truly asking you that. Matt's rolled back out of his chair. He almost fell down. So I almost needed it. But, but, well, but he, had honestly, had, he had already had six, right, okay. at that time? So what did the seventh do? Well, the seventh was was that particular seventh was the third in one year. So that's what solidified Matt's being one of the only players uh, in the modern era to have three in one year. So, I mean, you know, that that is puts him in a league that uh, is maybe, you know, I know he doesn't admit this, but I, I you know, one of the all time greats, I know he puts Edberg and Becker and some of these guys ahead of him. I, I, I don't know that I can do that with the seven slam. So um, it, I guess then Andy, yes, it was massive that eight, that seventh slam against Lendl. Say, guys, it sounds like you, Andy, you, you just didn't want to ask me, but I'll answer that. <laughs> I'll tell you to be on a very serious note, what that seventh grand slam did to me was, I won it in a completely different way uh, than I expected to win or, or a play that day, which was hitting more than 1,200 slice backhands. And I served in volley over and over again. I came to the net over 100 times. And this is why I'm so impressed with the older guys, with Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer uh, and Novak Djokovic to a certain degree too. But I was not able to keep that style of tennis up emotionally or my intensity i wasn't able to 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 be motivated to want to win as badly playing that style of tennis as i was keeping the ball in play and moving the ball around uh, and that's what i really really uh, admire about these older players that rafa nadal can come out and and not really play the way that he's played most of his career but he's hitting drop shots at the right time and he's bringing the intensity level and that absolutely hate to lose matches even though he hits the ball differently he tactically plays differently and I was not able to do that in that match yes but then I kept slicing and kept serving and volleying and I kind of lost a little bit of my well this is not really how I play do I care about winning as much suddenly I mean I did but I just couldn't bring myself to uh, to have that same kind of intensity and that's what I'm so impressed about these players that keep changing but they just don't lose that that love for winning or should I say hate for losing you know Johnny it's almost like I, I always I oftentimes make the comment that Rafael Nadal is like a tennis version of a movie that was written by Sylvester Stallone but really in a way it was Matt's that change the tactics the way a boxer would based on the situation. And here he is, you know, you talk about trying to beat Rafael Nadal at the French open. I mean, at the time that was kind of like what it was trying to, you know, to beat Lendl at the U S open, you, you know, you know, firsthand, you played him there uh, in the grandstand as well. So for Matt's to be able to change his style 
to do what he did to beat one of the greatest U.S. Open players of all time in that final, win that third major, and uh, and become the number one player in the world, I, I would say that that changed the history books a lot. And then he deflects it, and he t- starts talking about how Nadal and know, everybody else. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. It's our boy. All right, when we come back, speaking of our boy, our boy Johnny Levine is about a week out from the biggest week of his tennis calendar year because of the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic. Now, bear in mind, this is a challenger on the ATP Challenger Tour, and the cutoff to get in is 77 in the world. That is absurd. When we come back, we're going to hear details on how you can still get down there and see the tournament. So stick with us here at kickserveradio.com part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com. We are previewing Indian Wells and the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic. International Tennis Hall of Famer, Mats Vlander, Two-time Texas Longhorn All-American, Johnny Levine. I'm your host, Andy Zoden. And Johnny Levine, you are the host of the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic being played at the beautiful Phoenix Country Club, March 13th through 20th. It's an amazing field. It's your second year to do the tournament. And to coin a phrase, dude, you're backing better than ever. Well, we were so close to starting in 2020, and three days before, we had to pull the plug on it, and we were all prepared to do it. And uh, so that was that was really tough, but it's been a couple years now, and uh, – Everyone in the community is super fired up. The sponsors are excited to be involved again. And the Phoenix Children's Hospital is our beneficiary. And they're, they're super excited for the tournament. The Phoenix Country Club, the host club, couldn't be happier about it. Their membership loves the tournament. Uh, the administration there is such a pleasure to work with, which is, which is fantastic. And, um, you know, my team and my staff, and volunteers are all working so hard and have done such a great job. You know, our tournament director, Weller Evans, is coming in. And, you know, my my right-hand guy, Miguel Nito, uh, will be in. But our field is just, like you said, Andy, it's off the charts. I mean, a 77 cutoff for a challenger. And we've got three guys right now in the top 50 in the world. We've got Brandon Nakashima, our lone American. However, I do believe there will be some other Americans that will that will get into the tournament. We were not able to get Stevie Johnson, Dennis, uh, Stephen Kozlov, and a number of the other guys because the ranking wasn't high enough. But right. some of those guys are going to be in the qualifying. Some will probably end up with some wild cards. We'll see how that goes. We've given one so far to Zachary Spida, who is a two-time Kalamazoo champion, won a round at the U.S. Open, 19-year-old from San Diego. He's got a great game. Great future, and we're excited to have him. But we're super excited, Andy. I think the tennis, this venue is so great for for the public and the sponsors because they're right up close on the court, and um, they can see that action and 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 how fast the ball moves through the court. 
right up close. Um, and so we're excited for you and, and Matt's to be there to, to be our ambassadors of the tournament as well. So we're, we're just super pumped. Okay. Matt's earlier in the year when it was still sort of, uh, being discussed and negotiated as to whether or not Johnny would do this tournament. You sort of challenged him. You kind of said, you know, look, if American players are going to challenge for major championships, more tournaments need to be played on American soil. And now Johnny has risen to the occasion, risen to the challenge. And as a result, you're going to go down there and you're going to support that thing for the better part of a week. That's a, you know, that's a great move on your part. We're both very excited about it, but how great is it for American tennis for guys like Johnny to step up and put on tournaments like this? I mean, unbelievable. I mean, it's well done, Johnny. And that's what you, that's what you need. That's how, that's how Italy has so many great players. They got a lot of tournaments. They've added tournaments, added challengers to the schedule uh, throughout the year. That's why Spain has had so many good players over the years because you can literally, as a 17, 18-year-old, get on a train and go and earn your uh, ATP ranking points. I think they had one year where you could go 45 weeks out of 52 uh, and play uh, challengers in Spain. And, wow. and there you go. And so I think, yeah, this is absolutely huge. And just to clarify a little bit, so you got four wild cards. You got six qualifying spots. Is that right, Johnny? Four wild cards in the qualifying of a 24 draw. There's three wild cards in the main, right? In the main. So there's six qualifiers, Matt. Okay. So there's yep. they're 24 draw. They play over two. They got to win two matches to get in. And then you have a 32 draw with the six qualifiers and the three wild cards. So you have um, 23 direct acceptance. It's actually 21 plus two um, special exempts, but I don't think those will be in place. It'll be 23 direct acceptance. That's my point. 23 players in the top 77 on the world ATP rankings. That is just unbelievable. If we, if they had that at the Swedish open back in Sweden, in the most beautiful beach resort in Europe, they would be over the moon. So, I mean, that's an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable thing. Obviously it's a good week to hold a tournament, but it's, uh, yeah, just, it's what American tennis needs. I hope the American players support it as much as they can, because obviously it's not, not that easy to, to just keep playing matches, but uh, I think it's, yeah, it's brilliant. It's what we need. And also the most important thing is I bet you there's a little kid sitting in the stands. Uh, and that's how, that's why this kid becomes a great tennis player. And we let's never forget Roger Federer was a ball boy at the Basel Swiss indoors uh, in the days when basically I was playing, not that he was, uh, but in those days, you know, um, early 90s, mid 90s, that's, that's where his, I think that's where his enthusiasm for the game uh, came from. And I think that it's so valuable for the young kids to, to see it up close. And for me, to be that close to world-class tennis is going to be so fun because when I go to the majors, I do not have a chance to sit in the first or the second row uh, of uh, a tennis tournament and watch the best players in the world. So there's some pressure for you, Johnny. I, I like first row, second <laughs> row, maybe third row. I prefer behind the court from the short end. but We might give you a wild card, Matt. You better be careful. A wild there. card into the first row. Uh, now, so where Matt's is trying to keep his little girl from away from watching Layla Fernandez, Johnny, you and I are trying to keep the kids from away from watching Zvera. <laughs> let, let me ask you this question. So, Johnny, what are the protocols with regard to those wild cards into the main? Because you and I have talked about a few players 
Tanasi Kokonakis and Jack Sock and a few others that are all rankings aside, these are box office guys, right? I mean, these are guys that these are guys that draw crowds, they draw eyeballs, they they're they're electric, they're exciting, but the ranking doesn't doesn't speak loud enough for direct acceptance. What sort of protocols do you have to adhere to with regard who you give those to, or is that completely at your discretion? It is at our discretion, Andy, but the tricky part about our tournament, while we are we get such a great field because we're sandwiched between Indian Wells and Miami, the one thing about our player field is it it can it can change quite a bit. And and the reason that is is because these players, everyone that's on our list has entered and is probably in the main draw. These 70, these top guys that are in the top 77 are in the main draw of Indian Wells. So if they win two rounds, they will automatically without penalty be removed from our draw. And then the next player down would get into the draw, the alternate list. Right. So what we are able to do though, is potentially a couple of the, the, some of the players that didn't enter our tournament that maybe just weren't thinking about the event, didn't enter it maybe is even a seated player, maybe a guy top 25, like Goffin was 21 in the world. When we gave him a wild card two years ago, he lost early in Indian Wells, didn't expect to, and said, you know what? I got too much time before Miami. I want to get another week of matches. In. Maybe he hadn't, maybe he'd come off injury. So we might look for a player like that and get an opportunity to get a, a guy maybe in the top 30. So there's those kinds of opportunities. And there's guys that, you know, it could be, you know, some Americans that weren't planning on playing, or maybe they're in the in the alternate list, and and we have an opportunity to get them. We we're just not sure, but usually these wild cards are not really decided until the weekend before the tournament, and sometimes a day before the tournament because the guys are so close; they're already in at Indian Wells, and they can just come in. So it's a bit of a moving target our draw, but usually it's fine because the player field is just going to be you know, incredible. So Matt's, it was uh, 2019 when we went to the desert to watch this tournament. You didn't, but, but I was there and and we watched Matteo Berrettini, uh, you know, jump from at that time, you know, 57 in the world. And people knew about him because they knew about the Italians, that these guys were up and coming and, and boy, were they right. And to your point, a lot of the, a lot of the challengers in Italy, a lot of the challengers in Spain that have really helped these guys develop, at, at a very quick trajectory. Is there anybody out there that you can see maybe being able to make that same move? Some of the players that are maybe in that top 77, but outside of the top 25. And I don't, I don't know how much of a close look you've taken at Johnny's player list. So I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot, but who might be that guy that we might end up seeing dent the draw at the U S open. Andy, you put me on the spot here a little bit, my friend, uh, in terms of the entry list. But I can tell you this, that the, someone like Matteo Berrettini, that style of player who basically knows how to do everything, but he hasn't quite put it all together. He's got the variety. He's got the big game. And, but what is he missing? He's missing confidence in his own ability to win matches, not to play well, but to win matches. Uh, And that's what you look for. That's what I look for when I look at challenges. I mean, there are some guys that are great at challenges, but they never really move out of the challenges. And they're they're just missing that big weapon or the big shot or the big serve or, or the big forehand. 
often have great attitude because they're fighting it out and uh, sort of in, in the basement of professional tennis in, in a way, and they are tough to beat. But it's players like Matteo Berrettini that I think can benefit the most because they have the game. They just don't sort of trust their ability to pick the right shot at the right time. And it's very interesting that Matteo Berrettini is the guy that came out of your tournament, Johnny, and then literally is one of the best players in the world. Within a week of winning your tournament, suddenly he's a threat to everyone because he himself believes he knows how to win, win matches on the professional tour. And that's it. So, yes, you put me on the spot, Andy, but I would never mention a name anyway. But I will rather uh, think of a style of player that benefits from these tournaments. Uh, and he certainly is one. Someone like Jack Sock, for example, could really benefit from, from playing a tournament like yours, Johnny, because he's got the game, might not have the confidence at the moment, but he's got the skill set. And then suddenly he finds out, oh, my God, I'm good enough to win three, four, five matches in a row. And there is someone like Jack Sock back in the, in, in the, in the highest rankings of uh, the ATP again, if he should play. Well, I may have put you on the spot, Matt, but the fact of the matter is, Johnny, just like that day against Lendl in 1988, he just made something up and went with it and somehow it worked. Well, let me just say this, though, and this is part of the, the issue with the tournament. Sock would be a, a tremendous candidate for the tournament. For sure. But if he's playing doubles in Indian Wells, uh, he's probably going to go deep and then he wouldn't be able to play. So a, a lot of it is just an unknown right now, but it usually ends up being great. And, you know, some of these young guys, Matt, I know you're not that familiar with the list yet. You will get there when you get out here, but... Musetti is a young Italian who's who's I think has got a great game. Rue Savori, the Finnish kid, is is another young great talent. And then some of the veterans, you've got Goffin, Benoit Pair, Richard Gasquet, and Fernando Verdasco. So you've got Alexi Poprin, who's a good player from Australia. So there's a lot of great names in there. John Lennard Struff is a great German player. So Struff, Struff, or however you yeah. pronounce it, I'm <laughs> yeah, not yeah. so good at that. I mean, these guys, it's just going to be really interesting to see, you know, who breaks through. And, and like I said, some of them uh, will, will get to the past the third into the third round of the Indian Wells. They'll have to go down and then we'll get a new guy that will be a great player. So it, it, it's just uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for sure to watch the watch these guys play. And the doubles was amazing that year. Berrettini won the singles match. Uh, Jamie Murray and Neil Skupski won the doubles. So there's wow. a guy that's a threat to win a major that's won majors who now how'd you get him to come to the desert johnny did they lose early at indian wells what how did that work i think they did okay. and i think they did and they boy were they classic guys to have oh. around the tournament and um you know matt i don't know if you saw the the tournament i believe it was santiago was that the one that martinez beat baez that's right but martinez just won a 250 and he's entered in the tournament too yeah pedro pedro martinez so yeah but as far as as far as um jamie murray and subski they 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 were great to have at the event everyone loved them um so it'll be be interesting to see who we get in the doubles draw too a lot of fun to watch all right it's all kinds of good stuff. Tennis is in paradise. They are going to in the Indian Wells Garden. They are going to Phoenix. You're going to see tennis in the sun on American soil. It's going to be some great hardcore tennis over the next couple of weeks. And when you hear from us again, we're going to be taking a look back at 
maybe some things that change some players' careers. You know, I made the comment earlier, you guys, that I felt like Layla Fernandez's career may have taken more of a turn for the better by virtue of saving some match points in the final, similarly to the way Matteo Berrettini's career changed on a dime, saving some match points to win that final at the Arizona Tennis Classic back in 2019. So maybe we're in for some of the same. For the great Matt Spielander, Johnny Levine, who's on pins and needles about the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic, and he should be. I'm Andy Zoden. This is KickServeRadio.com, and we are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Catch you after tennis in the desert, everybody.